Welcome to Not Lost in the Crowd. I'm Galen Pogue, a certified empowerment coach with a passion for helping people who want to make a difference find their way forward. On the podcast, I interview everyday pioneers and proven leaders from all walks of life who share their vision, their journeys, and their insight to help light your way as you find your voice, find your audience, and become one of the next generation of change makers. Our world needs your voice in a bigger way. So come on, let's do this thing together. Welcome to Not Lost in the Crowd. I'm your host, Galen Pogue. Today I'm joined on the podcast by Serena Natkin. Serena is a Seattle-based parent coach and speaker with over 25 years' experience working with children and parents. She provides parents with the tools and support that they need to raise healthy children and find more joy in parenting. Serena is a licensed independent clinical social worker, as well as a certified Gottman educator and certified positive discipline trainer. She holds a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology and completed her master's degree in social work at the University of Washington. She's regularly featured as a parenting expert on television and radio, and her writing appears both in print and online media sources. Serena is a Seattle native, and she resides in the city with her husband and her two daughters. I wanted to have Serena on today because her work is all about creating the safety to be human both for parents and their children. And that type of safety is paramount to helping people find their voice and find their audience as well. I am so grateful to have this down-to-earth, wise, heartfelt, and joyful leader on the podcast today. Serena, welcome to Not Lost in the Crowd. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Galen. It's great to be here. So I start each of my interviews off with the same two questions. What voice did you love listening to as a child? And what voice do you love listening to now that you're an adult? And why? So it's such a great question. And I've been listening to all your episodes. I've had the opportunity to hear um, what others have shared. And so I began thinking about this before. And it's in the first, the voice that I hear is actually, it's a chorus of voices. It's the women in my family. I, um, there are a lot of women in my family and um, it is this like connection that spans over time. And we had growing up, we had all of our like Mother's Day, Jewish holidays, family events, celebrations together. And there was a bunch of us kids running around and there was this group of strong women and just the voices. And it was like this, this just wisdom of my grandma, um, my mom, my, um, they're my cousins, but they were raised, I was raised with them like aunts and they, um, I've gone to each of them at different points in my life. I've connected with them and it is this sense of being held by something larger than myself. And I can just, when I think about my childhood, I think about whatever else was going on. There was this chorus of women there, um, sort of holding me and, um, the other kids in the family and each other. And, and I grew up with that and now I'm part of it. You know, now I'm part of the, the women who hold our family and hold the kids and, and are there for each other. And it's, um, it's been a profoundly 
settling, comforting, joyful experience in my life to have that. Okay. How about uh, now? Whose voice do you love listening to now so, and why? Yeah. So uh, the, the person that I've been thinking about for this is actually not someone I know personally, although I've met her, but uh, meditation teacher and psychologist Tara Brock. And her voice is so soothing and comforting. It's not, um, it's not soothing in the point that like you want to go to sleep. It is soothing as a human being. She, uh, she, as I sort of dove into mindfulness practice of my own, um, I didn't yet have the internal voice to soothe myself in quite that way. And her voice, I, I could sort of internalize her voice. And for a long time, I hear in my head, you know, if I was trying to relax, this breath, and then this one, and the next breath, you know, and she just, I could, she, it was such a, a powerful sense of being held by the soothing, caring um, voice that is just sort of like, yep, here we are in the universe together. It's hard, it's easy, it just is. Um, and I began to sort of internalize her voice as I built my own voice uh, in taking and caring for myself. And so it's been a really profound experience. And I had the chance to talk to her about that very briefly. And I was grateful for that because uh, it really had a significant impact. What'd she say? She was like, told her that. she, you know, she just smiled and was warm. And she's like, you know, we need that. We need that. Every time we learn, we need models. We need to see people doing it. And I'm glad I could do that for you. That's so simple and so profound at the same time. Yep. Yep. And uh, it just, it has become, it, it slowly morphed into my own voice and my own wisdom, my own sense of being able to comfort and soothe myself. So this is your voice for you. Mm-hmm. Or for this part of you. Yeah. You know, it's not all just about damage control. <laughs> no, no. This is. You have many voices. I have many voices. There's all these different great parts of Serena, but today is to explore the voice that you have as a parent coach mm -hmm. for the people who need you, for your audience, and and where that came from, and how did that start, and what did you learn along the way? So you've said to me anyway that. What you do for parents, you help create the safety to be human for parents and children. Yes. What do you mean by that? Thank you for asking that. Yeah. I think in older times, we didn't have as much information coming to us. And it's really amazing how much we've learned about the brain, how much we've learned about child development, how much we've learned about what kids need. And yet, we are constantly bombarded with information and um, about what we should do, what we shouldn't do. Um, you know, one week we're told something is going to help our kids. The next week we're told it's going to screw them up. And parents are just so overwhelmed with this and so fearful of messing up their kids that we're sort of, we can be in this hypervigilance, right? And that doesn't when we're in that hypervigilance we're not we're not just there with our kid present moment we're aware of ourselves aware of them we're trying to stuff in knowledge we're trying to make sure they're ready for the next step we're trying to you know stay on top of the wheel that keeps spinning of planning what are we going to do with them over the summer what are we going to do with them you know over breaks all this stuff in it is it's very overwhelming 
And I mentioned before this piece about modeling, you know, that when somebody models for us something, we began to learn how to do that for ourselves. We humans learn so much more from what we see than what someone tells us and what we hear. So if I can help parents let go of the external, relying totally on the external messages and tune in to what it is that they, what are their hopes and dreams to teach their children? What skills do they want their kids to have? What do they want to get out of parenting? I mean, yes, parenting is hard, but it's also a massive opportunity to grow and uh, learn uh, more about ourselves, more about our kids and really um, be human. But first we have to figure out how to get back and tune into our own voice because ultimately that's the one we live with all the time. No matter the information coming at us, our voice is always there. So this piece of being human is, is helping them connect with what does it mean to be human? It means you're going to have emotions. It means you're not going to do things perfectly. It means you're going to screw up. Why is, why is being human as a parent better than the alternative? And what is the alternative? To, you know, when parents come to you, if they're not already being human, what, what are they being with their kids? They, they, I mean, of course they're human beings and they're loving and caring and, and scared and want to help their kids and frustrated and exhausted. They're most definitely human, but the weight that they're putting on themselves is not getting, not helping move them in the direction they want to go as parents or help their kids grow. I mean, are they acting like something other than acting like a human? Uh, they're carrying with them a set of beliefs about how they should be and their kids should be that doesn't allow for the, the perfectly imperfect, messy, mistake-filled, growing, learning people we are. I mean, we are just not textbooks, you know? Our but why do you need to be that with your kids? Because that's how they learn to be human. That's how they learn to accept themselves. So generally mm -hmm. people don't create change from a place of when they feel bad about themselves or when they feel when they're judging others, you know, change comes when we allow the space for it. So this being human is really bringing some compassion to the experience of parents and then helping them internalize that self-compassion. Because if they can say, oh, goodness, you know, oh, I, we talk about how the brain works and what happens when emotions are high and you're upset. And during when that's going on in either you or your kid, nobody's communicating well. Nobody can teach. Nobody can learn. We're not in that part of our brain. We're in a, you know, a more um, primitive part of our brain that is, that is driven towards, you know, fight or flight. And from that place, we can't teach and they can't learn. So you have we have to first accept like we are not going to teach in every moment. We are not perfect. We don't have to be perfect as parents. And matter of fact, if we modeled perfection for our kids, you know, that's, that's very stressful for kids. And then they internalize that. So we have to sort of bring some, if I can help them understand what's happening in the brain and they can just start noticing when they're there and when their kids there and say, Oh yeah, I've learned, I know this about the brain now. This is, nobody's going to be able to, we can't solve a problem from here. They can begin to slow down and you, you can be, begin to build a relationship of more um, seeing your kid for who they are, seeing yourself for who you are. And, and that's the only place we can change from, I think.
we can figure out what we're moving towards. And it's much, much, much easier to move towards something than away from something. I like that. So when we want to change in our life, if we can say, I want to do more of this, it's much easier to do that than to say, I want to do less. Well, and usually they start from, I want my kid to stop doing this, right? Exactly. Right. And that's the same way they, they come at themselves too, right? Exactly. God, why can't I stop doing this? I need to stop doing this. Exactly. And it's, it, it's hard. And, and we need space and acceptance for change. I can't tell you how many parenting challenges have been solved by the helping parents understand what's happening in their brain and help, helping them teach their kids and then taking a break from the problem. So this a problem, thumb sucking, um, getting out of bed at nighttime, uh, whatever the challenge is. And, you know, there's some structure around this that I give people so they can manage their own anxiety. But, you know, if I can get them to take a break from nagging their kid about it and driving themselves not, uh, nuts about it for a week or two, sometimes change just happens because now the space is there for it. Because imagine if your boss is like every hour, did you get it done? Did you get it done? Do you have it done? Are you done with that yet? You, you really think need to change, it? like human beings changing is kind of a, a natural process? I do. Like usually that people, if you create the space that people will change on their own? I think, you know, there's some key ingredients. If you think about it, right, you plant a seed. We don't control the seed growing. We don't make the flower bloom, but we sure, but you know, might lay down some compost and make sure the soil has what it needs and water it. And, but then that's what we can do. And that's sort of what we can do as parents is lay the groundwork, you know, provide the, 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 the materials that they need. And then it's, it's actually, you know, parenting is like this slow and steady process of separation into them becoming their own person. It's funny because as I think about it, it's like there's such a thing as a parenting plan and, you know, and you try so carefully to plan out all these things to avoid, you know, uh, problems. Right. And it's just like so devoid of making space for intuition and responding in the moment to what's actually happening. Right. And, and I think of, a, a, this is not like in an individual parent, this is our collective society. You and I have talked a lot about being versus doing what our kids knew, need from us is to be, and it's not all day, but if you, one of the like easiest shifts in a family that's having a hard time in the evenings is parents, when you get home, spending the first 15 minutes with their kids, with the kids directing play. Don't go to the mail first. Don't go to that. I got to get dinner ready. Just connection time, letting your kids be seen by you as they are. It changes everything for the whole evening. Yeah. I mean, how it's funny how often we don't do that. And then we try and communicate and it's like, if you're not connected, how, what's the odds that communication's going to get through? Right. Really? You don't have the influence. <laughs> they want, they, they're, they're much more like, you know, human adults than they are like Pavlov's dogs. And, you know, we wanted to simplify it down to, you know, reward and punishment, but it's just not. That's a great image. They're not Pavlov's dogs. No. <laughs> I guess he had more than one dog. I guess so. I, I am assuming. <laughs> had a pack of Pavlov's dogs. It's been a long time since I was in intro to psych, you know. <gasps> but I, 
but I, I often picture that is this like, we think it's just stimulus and response. And maybe it is, but the stimulus is our unconditional love and acceptance of them and the fact that they're gonna make mistakes over and over again. And yet what we're told is make it into reward and punishment, nag. Nobody wants to be without a clear roadmap when it comes yep. to something as important as their kids, right? Of course. And let's, let's really understand what we can control. I mean, parents come to me and say, how do I change my kid? And our work is entirely about what parents are going <laughs> to do because you cannot make someone else change. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, sure. You can lift your kid up out of the car when they're a toddler. Eventually you're going to, your kids are going to get to an age where either you can't use your physical power over them or you just lose them emotionally. And that, and then we lose the ability to keep them safe. Hmm. So this is high, you know, this is like the, the pressure on parents is real. It feels high stakes and, and it can be. And I don't think, I don't think um, the, the path to, to approaching that comes from sort of short-term Band-Aid stuff of let me just take your phone away, you know? It seems like the best chance that you have as a parent is, is to recognize that your kid is ultimately they're the ones who got to learn how to control themselves and their behavior and make choice, good choices. And, you know, that's all them that they, that they got to do. So your role is really to set them up to be supported and for success in doing that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not to give them the plan. No. And it's to model it ourselves, right? Like back yeah. to that modeling. Ooh, that's good so too. if yeah. I, I mean, everything, like if I am yelling at, I mean, how often have I heard parents, don't you talk to me like that young lady? Okay, um, <sighs> what are you modeling for them? You know, I apologize to my kids for something almost daily. You know what? Over the years, they have developed, they come back. I don't have to ask them for an apology. They come back and repair their own messes because I've modeled it and taught them and we've talked about why it matters. So you're you're like perfect now. No, right? no, 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 <laughs> no. No, because I'm still a parent when it comes to my own kids. Far from perfect. You are human. Right? I am human. Coming back yep. to the safety to be human. Have we fully fleshed this out here, this safety to be human? Well, really it's, you know, this is in every this is not just in parenting. This is everywhere. If we can't be who we are, where we are, like, who are we being? And what is the purpose of it? You know, if we are locking ourselves in a box of I have to show up this way in this place, it, um, we lose our authentic selves. And I am convinced that what my, the reason I, my business has been successful is I am myself. I share my own mistakes in parenting all the time. And, um, and I let other people be themselves. I don't expect them to like, you know, successfully navigate everything. This is a constant learning process. Life is, you know, it's just one learning after another and whether we want to let it in or not, but the safety comes in, in that, that sense of being held in an environment and a family and a community in a workplace where mistakes are seen as part of the learning process. Okay, so where did this journey start then? My journey? You were not, <laughs> you were not a parent since day one. No, no. I think maybe the journey that I'm asking about is the journey of, 
of being human, of being able to be fully human. When you were a kid, did you grow up in an environment where it was safe to be human? In some ways, in, in not always. You know, I think having um, parents who divorced before I, before I was one, um, there was lots missing, you know, in sort of, um, I, I think being a single parent is one of the hardest jobs there is because there's no space. You have to take care of yourself to stay regulated to parent this way. And it just is impossible, uh, I think, or not impossible. It's very hard on your own. So, you know, my mom and I were very close and in some ways I could be in that human space, but not always. Where I can identify is in friendships um, and at camp, at a summer camp I went to for years and then became a counselor at. How old were you there? Let's see. I started going, um, I went when I was younger, but it was really when I became a counselor or counselor in training, like about at 14. And I realized actually I was given the opportunity. So this camp director who had been there from when I was there in third, I went in third grade. I was away from my mom for the summer at my dad's house in a different state. And then I went to sleepaway camp from my dad's. I was really homesick and the camp director was caring and normalized it. Yeah, that's a normal thing to be homesick. And um, gave me the space to just have my feelings. So here, you know, that was in third grade. So what, maybe eight years old. So then here I am at 14, almost 15, same camp director. He comes and gets me at a dinner one night and he says, Serena, there's this camper out there. They're really homesick. And I rem and he said, Serena, I remember you at that age, so homesick and scared and lonely. And I wondered if you'd like to go talk to this child. And so I walked out of the dining hall and I can, I can just see it in my eyes. I'm sitting there on this grassy space that we'd hang out and, and talking to this child and letting them know, you know, I remember feeling that and it's okay. And just being human with them, sitting with someone in their discomfort in their pain. And this is like, this is the skill of mine. This is, I, it, this comes naturally to be able to sit with people in difficulty and let them be human and not try and change them and not let my anxiety take over and direct what they should do with it, but to just be present with them and witness their humanity and let them know I care. And I did that for friends and friends and friends. And then this slowly grew into um, volunteering in college. At, uh, I started volunteering at, first I volunteered on a crisis line and then I volunteered at a um, shelter for abused women and children who were leaving violent homes. Why do you think you started to do that? My stepmom is a social worker. And she, when I was young um, and I'd stay at my dad's during the summer, she worked, um, she had a, a pager, you know, this was like, that, like nobody had a pager then. And it would go off in the middle of the night and she'd go to the hospital and meet a woman who'd been sexually assaulted and provide support for them at the hospital. So I was sort of introduced to this idea of standing by someone in, in difficulty. And I remember asking her about it, like, why, why, why would you, you know, want to do that? you know, and she told me that it's a gift 
to be able to, it's a, it's a time, it's a, this time of humanity to be able to sit with someone and, and care for them and just be with them. And, and, and it's not, you don't have to have the answers and you don't have to fix everything. You just see them as they are and that it helps them. Where, when did the desire to do more of this start to happen for you? I was a counselor for a number of summers and I saw the impact that I could have on kids. I saw that I could let them be campers and, and have a break from regular life and, you know, and make mistakes. And, and I learned that. You must've gotten really tight with those kids, huh? Oh, I did. I, yes. And, uh, I still run into them occasionally, you know, so it was in the Northwest and, and, I, I wasn't their parents. I didn't have the same expectations. You know, we had agreements and routines and, you know, people had jobs, you know, there was like cleanup time around the camp, but I could just be this person who let them be and love them just as they were. And then it just kept going. I mean, I'm one of the only people I know in college that like declared my major psych major going in and stuck with it. It's, and it wasn't that it was like, I was so sad on it. It just, it was just what was. Hmm. I tried to run from it, you know, after college and did you? work. What, what did you do? <laughs> well, I tried, I worked in nonprofits, but then I went to work at, uh, at Starbucks, actually at the corporate office. I'd worked in a store in college and, and it was pretty cool because it was, you know, we've talked about this. My dad worked at Starbucks for a long time and the, the, the values that I was raised with and heard him talk about as far as how you lead people, how you support people were there, but that was well, about as and, corporate and as I And we should say he wasn't just a barista <laughs> at Starbucks, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, yeah, he's a, he was, uh, he was vice president and then he was international president. And then, you know, he, he left and went back a few times in leadership and he really was the core. He was a piece of the, setting the core values of the organization. It was very much driven. He says, we're in the people business serving coffee, not the coffee business serving people, or I may have the order of those, but really like it's all about the people. So he wrote a book, it's not about the coffee. And it is, it is all the same stuff just through that I talk about and I work with people on. It's just through a different lens. It's just through the business leadership lens instead of the parenting lens. And What's fascinating is that I've worked with plenty of people who get this stuff in the workplace, get that you lead from the bottom. You, you know, my dad is very involved with servant leadership. But you were running from it. Well, I right? went, so I went to, I was running from the, the social work. So you were going through college and you were a psych major and it's just what it was. What did you think you were going to do with this degree? Well, <laughs> So actually, so I had started volunteering at a women's, at women's shelters, at um, domestic violence shelter. And then I started volunteering at the courthouse and I'd meet women early in the morning before their partners were released from jail and help them get, fill out the paperwork for restraining orders and sit with them with the judge. And I started to become very interested in nonprofit law. And I thought I was going to go, I wanted to go to law school and I wanted to work on. What was interesting you about that? The legal system and, and recognizing how it could be used to hurt or help. I would sit with these women, you know, I was 20 and I'd sit with these women who had such painful experiences. Sometimes, you know, it just being 
pretty beaten the night before and I could sit with them and I could help them navigate this system that was in no way meeting them where they were at. And it, it upset me. Mm. It, it, I was, I was like, how do you expect people to be able to stay safe and protect themselves in a system that, that is making, that puts up so many barriers? You know, I still, I'm like, where is the national parent education organization and, um, parenting body? It just, the systems are a really challenging part of the world we live in. And so I wanted to intervene there. I wanted to go to work and changing laws. So I went as far as taking the LSAT. In the middle of it, I'm reading these questions and I'm like, I don't care who worded, you know, whose argument is worded the correct way. I care how people are feeling. Like I was like literally angry in the middle of the, the LSAT. And I was like, yeah, no, this is not me. I'm going to be in the courtroom crying and ranting and, you know, <laughs> this is not me. So I, I almost walked out. I decided to finish the test, but I, but like halfway through the test, I was like, no, I'm not going to law school. No way. And so did you, were you then kind of in a period where you weren't sure? And that's when you went running to the corporate yeah. thing? Well, there was a, yeah, there was a lot of messages, you know, particularly as a woman, I wanted to be able to support myself. I mean, the trade-offs for doing what you love or getting paid a lot of money at this age or, you know, I can't, it's a no brainer. But at that age, I was thinking like, God, you know, I have all these friends. I'm in Seattle. I come home from grad from undergraduate and most of my friends are getting jobs in tech and they're like wearing shorts and playing pool at the middle of lunch. I go visit them and I'm working at a small nonprofit. Yeah, I had to say, like, you've been in this world of like supporting people in really heavy situations. Like, <laughs> did you have any fun in your life, too? Or were you just like, oh, my gosh, absolutely. You have to you have to have fun. So lots, you know, I love live music. I, I would go on road trips and see multiple shows of the dead, Grateful Dead. And, you know, all, every, Michael Franti. I mean, still, that's a like huge part of my life. Um, and I had a lot of fun, a lot of outdoors. Yeah. Okay. Well, so it sounds like you, you already kind of were balancing out all that heaviness that you, you were dealing to, with. But then... You know, so I worked at Starbucks, I worked in customer relations and I, I took the escalated calls. So I basically was doing the counseling there, you know, because people were not calling because. But this was going to be a good paying gig. That well, I was going to build would. up. I was going to go into human resources, you know. And so I thought that was like the social work of the of an organization, you know. So I so I started in customer relations and I uh, I was the I dealt with like the escalated calls and sort of, you know, coordinated between department stuff. And then I did move into HR and then I um, and I want I had a mentor in organizational development and I've always enjoyed group work. Family works very similar. And so that's the path that I, I thought I'd go back and get a degree in organizational development. And then I got a really big opportunity to um in a very ugly package to um take a look at where i was going and what i wanted to do and that was coming down with chronic fatigue syndrome or diagnosis of such at age 25 and that was that had a profound impact on me and i wouldn't be where i am without that we're do you know why it happened? Were you just taking on way more than you should have or or was there that, no reason for it? Is it genetic or what? I, you know, it's hard to know. I mean, they're still learning so much about it. But basically, um, I had traveled like a couple years before or a year and a half, two years before that 
for six months in Australia and New Zealand, I got really severe uh, strep throat. Um, like I was in the hospital there for, for a week in Australia. I refused to get my tonsils out there because I wanted to wait till I got home, but it meant I had to stay on really high doses of um, antibiotics and for the remaining three months that I traveled. And there's one theory that, you know, this, this sort of virus that was in my body or bacteria that was in my body for a long time sort of tripped up my immune system. There's a number of people with diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is the, the scientific name uh, used in most countries. And it, um, so that it could have been that triggering event, but I was in, and I, and I think come for a reason. Like, I don't think like the universe, there's somebody sitting up there with remote control that was like, let's shake things up a little bit for Serena. But I was in a relationship that wasn't what I wanted in my life. Wasn't, wasn't the right one. Um, I was doing this job. I, this was like, you know, the parents who were like, but I'm doing I'm the book. I want to do everything in the book. So my kid gets set up for success. And that's what I was doing in my work, like social work, you know, I wasn't gonna be able to support myself. So let me get a real, real job. Yeah. <laughs> let me work in the corporate world. This and is be able funny because it's myself. like, this is Serena not being human, right? This is Serena right. being the robot producer, right. right? Let me do it right. Let me do it right. Let me do everything right. I was gonna, you know, there was just, I was on this path and, and so who knows why I got sick, but I did. I got what we thought was the flu and then it didn't go away for like six months. And, you know, I saw a doctor, every doctor under the sun here and in other states looking for the specialist who had the answer. Um, and it's a diagnosis of ruling out. So six months it took of ruling everything under the sun out, like waiting for biopsy results to see if it was lymphoma. It just, you know, it was in that time, the, the guy I was with cheated on me, best gift ever. Like, <laughs> you know, I, and I, and I lost, I had to quit my job, you know, because I was on disability for a while, but then, um, that wasn't gonna, you know, I, I knew it was going to be longer before I came back. And so it was like a hard so what stop. what was the gift? I got a hard stop and I was forced to slow down and think about what it was that really mattered to me. And as soon as I could do something, I started volunteering at a domestic violence shelter again, locally. <laughs> sure. When you get chronic fatigue syndrome, what do you do? <laughs> Just go to- Because this is what <laughs> I'm here for. I mean, this is violence. my part of my purpose is I can sit with people in pain. I can sit with people uh -huh. and it, and, and it's not just pain. It's, it's, how does that changed. not overwhelm your condition though? Well, I had to take care of myself and I had to go very slow. And I started when I, when I started again, I started volunteering an hour a week. You know, I started very slow because I learned that if I pushed too hard, my body would get sick again. And so, you know, I sort of, sort of built up my time um, of volunteer hours. And then I decided, yep, this, I want to go get my master's in social work. That is, that was always it. I just was trying to follow the, you know, the plan before, not my plan, but the, you know, so I applied to graduate school. And I, I did, um, I had some accommodations and that I did my practicum placements both years a little slower so that mm -hmm. there wasn't so much stress on my body. And, you know, it was like, had I not, I mean, I could have just continued on that path. If I didn't get sick, maybe, you know, I mean, who knows, but I was not, 
I was not going in the direction that I knew somewhere in me I wanted to go. And this gave me the opportunity to do it so. It seems like it personalized it, really, you know? Mm -hmm. It seems like before, and, you know, tell me if this is, if I heard you right, but it seems like before you were, you were like, these systems don't support us and I'm going to go and change these systems. But that's different than helping a person, a per, helping a person, right. you know? And it's like when you went through that, you, yeah, you got a personal experience. Right. I mean, I was up against every system. I was on the phone with insurance companies who were like, yeah, okay, we're going to kick you off because that strep throat a couple of years ago, we're going to say that was a pre-existing condition. You know, I went through all of that. I also, at 25, I mean, I was a total outdoors person. I went backcountry camping all the time. I was like extremely active and it's like this hard stop came and everything else kept going. You know, of course I had, I, there were some friendships that didn't continue, but it, you know, I had I, the people that really cared about me were still there and I, and I had to be intentional. And here's the thing, if I had just followed the plan and tried to force myself into these societal, you know, expectations or, um, I wasn't, I wasn't being human and I, and I can't affect societal change without showing up as that in myself. You know, I can't, it's that modeling again. It, it's like the yelling at our kids, change this, don't do it the way I'm doing it and modeling it for you, but do it the way I want you to, right? Like I can't go into systems and create that change unless I am walking the talk myself. And mm. so this was a hard reset and say, okay, who, who are you? What do you want in this life? Time to walk the talk, whether yep. you like it or not. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and so- And you're yeah. helping parents walk their talk. Yeah, yeah, it, it is, I don't, it's not my job to say what, it's not my job to say what, how, you know, what, where the parent should focus, what skills they should want their kid to have. But mm -hmm. I am trying to help them align. If they say they want their kid to have this skill, to know how to set limits for themselves, to know how to manage things in their own life. Is the way a parent is parenting aligning with that? Is it really giving the kid the opportunity? You know, because if I am micromanaging my kid and nagging about homework every day and checking their homework every day and making sure it's done to my standards, when I don't even assign the homework, it's between the kid and the teacher. You know, I am not letting my kid have a life experience. Nobody is gonna go to them on their job and check their reports before they turn them in to their boss. So they have to know how to do that stuff themselves. And that's where that piece of like, I am slowly giving my kid age appropriate independence and responsibility all the way along. Cool. Yeah. Okay, back to the story. Yes. So, so there you were, you yep. got the hard reset. Yep. So went back to that school. That was a gift. Yep. Total gift. You went back to school. Mm -hmm. And I came out of school and where, where I was, what I wanted to do then, I'd always, um, women's reproductive rights were always an important issue for me. And I wanted to go to work at Planned Parenthood. And one of the things my dad had taught me is, you know, you, you can't really expect things to just land in your lap. You got to go for them and you got to build relationships. So were you going to Planned Parenthood because you believed in the mission? 
I believed in the mission and I wanted to be a part, I wanted to be a part of an organization that was providing direct service while, um, sort of, it had both there, right? Cause it's got, it's got its direct service with, with people. It's also a major body that is, that works to protect reproductive rights of women, access to birth control, all things that were very important to me. And so it was sort of all world. I mean, my job was specific, but I was part of something larger that was, that was moving towards the changes in society that I wanted to see. Hmm. So I went and met with like right after I finished school or even maybe a couple month or two before I went and met with their clinical director and to informational interviews. I went to, t I talked to people uh, I just, and so I went to talk to her. I said, I just want to come and learn about what you do. And I did. And, um, and I was really excited about the opportunity to work there. There weren't any jobs there then, but about three months later, she called me in for an interview. And so I had the opportunity to work there and that was another moment of crisis for people. I was in clinics on days they were providing abortion services and it was such a fascinating glimpse into being human. In what way? People are there to, it, it, nobody's excited to be there. You know, they're not coming in cause this is like, yay, an exciting day in their life, but they have made a decision about what is right for them. And, and I would sit with them in this time um, of sort of like, okay, here we are doing the thing, you know, we wish we didn't have to do. And yet here we are. And there was often protesters out front and who rightfully just for them, this was not an appropriate thing that should be taking place. And they have their using their, their right in our society to stand up and demonstrate against it. And yet occasionally on more than one occasion, I would meet with someone who had been a regular protester outside and was now inside. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so here we are like, and so we chat about, and, and this wasn't, you know, I could come to this from the place of, wow, this is, this is something this person feels really strongly is not okay. And yet here they are. And so, you know, one of the things in assessing how, how will you navigate this? Do you have the support you need to navigate this afterwards? How, how will you make sense of this? And I'd say, you know, I'd ask them that to some degree and they'd say, well, it's different. I, I don't have a choice. It's just what I have to do. And our own human ability to see what the picture should be for everyone, what the story should be, what the parenting book should say, what the, you know, this is the path to success should say. But yet when we come, when it comes down to it, we're all human. And when it comes down to making significant choices that, you know, seem that are, that are critical or crisis moments or whatever, our humanity shows up whether we like it or not. So, you know, while I wanted to say to them, yes, so you making this decision for you because it's what you need right now, everyone else in here and everyone you protest, you know, every day when you're protesting, the people are coming in, they, they, they're in the same place as you. And so this, this way that we can like have our ideals and our, this is how it should be. And yet when we hit the pain, when we hit the bumpy spots in life, it's right back to human, to our authentic, messy, imperfect human selves. And it was really just a profound learning of, of how we could 
sort of move back and forth between both, you know, sort of, I was not on the track I wanted to be on in life. And, you know, I was given something that said, okay, well, we're just going to give you a hard stop and you're going to figure it out. But, you know, it's really easy, I think, in our society to just keep rolling along. And one of the, you know, parenting is one of the times it comes up again. So after Planned Parenthood, I actually went back into working in domestic violence. And then I had my first daughter. And you asked how, you know, like, what do I do for fun? How do you do this stuff? How do you sit with people in pain? Well, okay, so this was the turning point. Because what I, what I knew, even I hadn't really gone back to work yet, but what I knew was it took a lot of time and, and focus to take care of myself so I could show up for that crisis work the way I did. And with a newborn baby, with a, ba with a chi young child, I could not for the life of me. I was like, I don't, I don't have, I don't want to see the scary stuff right now. I know it's there. It's always there. And, but I, I, I couldn't figure out how I would take care of myself the way I needed to at that time and do the crisis work. And so what I did do was be a mom and my daughter was three months old. And I went to this class as a cooperative, it's like this cooperative preschool model, but it's not really preschool. It's like infant parent class. And there's a parent educator there and a child educator there. And this first day, you know, I'm one of the first people there and I start talking to the parent educator and I find out she's a licensed social worker. I did not even know about like parent education. Like I missed that, like that, that was one of the areas that social workers worked in. I had no idea. And then it pretty quickly clicked. I was like, oh. Wait, so I'm working on the, I've been working on the crisis side, but what happens if we, if we create healthy families from the beginning, what happens if parents get what they need as parents in this really hard role and will that help kids? And will we end up with less trauma, less violence? It's possible. Had you learned anything about the roots of trauma from all your previous work? in terms of it being in childhood or anything like that? I definitely had, and I watched it because here I am working with kids in shelters who had been exposed to violence and the impact it had on their behavior and how different that was from say, you know, the kids I, that I was a camp counselor for and what different behaviors showed up. And so I did know about this, but for some reason I, I, I kept learning about it, like how to help from the, the provider, clinical, social worker, whatever, helper end versus and, and help the parents. But I still, I, I still hadn't quite like understood this. And, and what you heard about parenting classes until like the last 10 to 15 years, parent education was solely in the realm of problem families. So you would get assigned from court to go to parenting classes if you were, if you, you know, had done something that to hurt your kid. That was it. <laughs> so funny. I just like I, I just think of like when you get a traffic ticket and you got to go that, to yeah. to what is that traffic, traffic school school or, court or whatever. Yeah, yeah. This was that. You would that is where parent edu parenting classes. I mean, there were other things. There were other things. There were you know. There's always been these the the positive discipline that I teach. It's been around for a long time, and I mean Alfred Adler was writing about this a long time ago and. 
So know, this discovery that you were making, was that positive discipline or was it something else that you were talking about? Well, it was just, it was, it was in that, in that class, it was just the idea of parent education. So this class was which? It was, it's through, we have in watching, we have uh, I think it's through, it's oddly got placed years ago. There was extra money in the community college system. So they started these parent co-ops at the community colleges and there's one. And you were taking this for yourself? And I was taking it with my baby. So you go with your baby uh-huh. and it goes from like zero to two or some of them go to three. Some of them are like two to four, but the parent goes with the child. So in like, you know, this, when the the kid's a little older, Uh when they're moving about, we would separate and have, but you know, the kids were one, one and a half, two, we'd separate and the parents would have a discussion on a parenting topic led by the parent educator, Mm -hmm. some learning. And before that, when they were just newborns, like they'd be in our lap and we'd just. So you were going to this class to, why were you going to this class? (laughs) I was going because. Because that's what you should do. No, because uh, I, I was mean, going maybe, because maybe. you, well, well, so one of the things, like if you're someone who's used to being out in society and now you have this little critter that you don't really know what you're doing with, you need some things to fill up your time or you might, you know, because being in, in with other people and seeing other babies, modeling, normalizing, you know, you realize, oh, that baby's not doing this yet either. Oh, that two-year-old is picking their nose the whole class, just like mine, mm-hmm. right? You get this normalization. So there's that. And it was something to do because there, we they do little singing stuff with the babies. And as they got older, then they would play and there'd be a parent, a child, children's teacher there who would help them facilitate problem solving. And, and it was just really a great, wonderful thing. And it like, I was like, oh. You had that light bulb. Yep. Because I said, great. Now I can be on the preventative side. And, and to me, it is parent education is public health. It's a public health issue. So it was at that point, you're like, I could be a parent coach. Well, first I went, um, I took a, a, an agency in Seattle, Jewish family service. They had me take a class, this John Gottman, who's a relationship researcher and his wife, Julie, um, they had just created, I mean, it was brand new, this program called bringing baby home which you would think it was about taking care of baby, but it was actually about the parent relationship hmm. and the couple's relationship. And, you know, there was some around the social emotional needs of babies, but a lot of it was like, this is a big transition you're going to go through and here's some helpful information. So, so Gottman got Gottman. it, right? So Gottman got it. And so Before I, a bunch of other yep. people. Well, there were other people doing other stuff, but you know, he's, he's the relationship guy, particularly in Seattle, you know? And so I, so I went through one of the first rounds when they trained people to facilitate this class and I started teaching that. And the same time, like I'm this, you know, I love learning about being a human being. So I'm reading all Mm -hmm. these books about, you know, learning, refreshing my memory on child development, but also learning about like parent development and how we shift and the stages of, parent development and what it means to be a parent in our society and a mom, you know, and this, like how many moms all of a sudden who are in like egalitarian marriages where like you would not think traditional gender roles and find themselves like pissed at their husbands because they can listen to NPR on the way to work and you're listening to a screaming baby, you know, like all these things became very real. And so I wanted to learn and understand and very, so I started teaching before bringing baby home before my own daughter was a year old. 
first was a year old and then you know of course people had questions so then i'd help them solve individual stuff you know and then i would started subbing at the um at the parent child center as the parent educator uh, at times and then i my daughter was about two um, and I went to, I needed continuing education credits and I had heard of positive discipline and I had the book and it made sense to me, but I wasn't really like, you know, you, you, er, I, early enough, early in the, you know, the first year of life, there's not discipline. I mean, you're not going to you don't punish a baby, you know, they're not going to learn anything from that. Like you're their entire place of security. So then, so I take this. I go, I need continuing education credits. And I sign up for this class that is um, for parent, uh, positive discipline, parent educator, basically class. And it's um, two days and one evening and it's entirely experiential. So, um, so I'm not just learning about parent, ed this sort of model of parenting with positive discipline, which is just so you know, positive discipline is all about um how the main things that drive us are this need for connection and belonging and to know that we matter that there's meaning or significance and that behavior is driven by those things but we may have sort of mistaken beliefs on how to get there it's also it's rooted in um the idea that we do better when we feel better jane nelson who founded it you know that's one of my favorite quotes of hers people do better when they feel better so, when, um, so the idea is we're not yelling, shaming, blaming. We are uh, working on problem solving, understanding, uh, compassion, um, opportunities to make mistakes. And it is, it, it is, it feels slower at times, but it is amazing. It is amazing um, because you actually are focused on building, helping your kids build the skills that they need to survive and thrive in their own life. And from there, my work in positive discipline just grew. I started teaching classes, which I loved. So you had at this point really found this voice, yeah. right? You're like, yeah. this is mine to do, right? Yes. And then I just started talking to people, everyone I could yeah. in the community. Yeah. This is how and you this built is, your this audience is how I built. for this? Yes. Yes. I just, I built relationships. How did you know who to talk to? I just kept talking to people. I talked to pediatricians, every, all the stakeholders. So I grew up here. I got my master's in social work here. And for me, that career is so much about knowing your resources. So I purposely got my graduate degree here because I knew knowing my community was important. It's all about the relationships. In everything, it's all about the relationships. I don't care if you're selling mushrooms to somebody. It's all about the relationships. How the hell are you going to get the mushrooms out there if you don't know people? So I'm talking to people, connecting, and I'm also putting myself out there. So organizations that I knew worked with families. I, I got on this volunteer speaker list at um, PEPS, which is a program for early parent support. And it's one of these things that in the Northwest, you know, people, you get placed, you can sign up to be placed in a group by people who are geographically close to you and have babies around the same time. And they provide a volunteer leader. And I had volunteered as a leader. And then I also volunteered, they have a speakers list. So I just kept, and that was not paid, but I really believed in what I was doing. And one core piece is- And you had just, something of value to provide too. Right. Because this is a time of transition, you know? And, and what one of the things I wanted to introduce 
was this idea of learning as a parent. I mean, I've had how many friends who have gone to like real estate seminars or investment seminars or Tony Robbins, like, like are willing to grow in all these areas. And yet one of the most profound things we do in having a kid is like, that's the biggest job I've ever had in so many ways. And why would I not want to learn how to make it better for me, better for my kids? And But obviously um, you were seeing that a lot of people didn't go do that right. already. So I had, that was, so that was a piece of this from the beginning is I would spend a lot of time thinking about how are norms created? How do, you know, because this is the great, like it's across, we've only been saying it's the problem families that go to parenting classes. And that's a bad thing. If you have to go to parenting classes, there must be something wrong. That was, and I was like, that model does not work. Because again, if you feel like you're bad, you're not even in a place that you want to learn because you just are discouraged. So I had to create some, I wanted to create some, some sense of like, this is cool. This is cool. Mm. You can ease the pain. You can make it more fun. And that was helping people connect, you know, that you can connect with the joy if you can step out of having to be the perfect parent. Well, and, and I think part of that is just a real big mindset change there. Instead yeah. of fixing problems, you are, yeah. what are you doing if you're not fixing problems? You are, you're learning and growing, you know, but... But that, but there's not an assumption of a problem. The it's, kid is not the problem. It's part that this is an op, this is an opportunity. Or even and, you, you know, or you are we're not, not the a problem. problem, right? Exactly. But we can we and we're hardwired. The other piece, besides just being that we learn through modeling and that we do better when we feel better, is that we are social beings. We are social beings hardwired for connection. And so most. Child behavior, I call it mischief. I don't like to even call it misbehavior anymore, is an attempt to find their sense of connection and belonging or find the sense that they matter in a way that doesn't really invite it, but they haven't learned another way yet. And the same is true in adult relationships, you know, uh, in all relationships. This is why we, hurt people hurt people, right? Exactly. Yeah. They're not doing yeah. it just to be a dick. No. <laughs> <laughs> they they are hurting and and they hurt other people so is this is this the change that you are really trying to promote and create in the world is have more people that are actually okay more people that feel better and then they do better in the world yeah and that is really like that's why i saw parent education as as a preventative um, is something that can help our society heal, you know, because we are, we are the biggest influencers or the ones who spend the most time with these beings. And if they get the sense from a young age that they are okay and they matter, even when they screw up, you know, they begin to internalize that. So when inevitable life challenges, we all face big challenges and hardship, you know, we, we, we have a sense in there that somebody believes in us, that we're not alone, and that we're okay, even if we're not doing it perfectly, even if we're stumbling over and over and over again. And that is what I believe is going to create a healthier society and, and free us up to, to move away from the shoulds and the I got to do it this way and the perfectionism or the alternative of the I am never going to succeed at this, so I just give up, mm -hmm. you know? 
is this space that we're okay. And, and we've talked about this encouragement is a huge part of that. You know, I, I think it's hard to get that, that person, that need for connection and seeing as we are, that is encouragement. It is, it's not praise. It's not like, oh, look at you. You did it perfect. You're so smart. You're so great. Good boy. It's like, wow, you worked really hard on that. Look what you accomplished. Or I know this is really hard and I've seen you do this before and I know you, you'll get through this time too and I'm here. You know, those are, that's a very different way to support people and we need more of it. Why? There's so much pain out there in the world, so much challenge and difficulty and oppression and poverty. And, and we, we need to know that despite the challenges of our world, that, that we are enough and we are okay as we are, you know, in that, that sense is actually what propels people. Because how will we ever do better if we don't feel better? better? Right. How will we ever get out of this? You know, how will we, you know, generation after generation, you know, we just, there's so much pain and we won't get there through telling people they shouldn't have pain. We won't get there through sanctioning them out of it. I mean, we, it just, we, we have to see people as they are and, um, and, and support them as they are and let them know that we're there. You know, I can sit with people in pain and trauma, I can sit with people in growth and it's just being human. It's just me. I don't have any magic. I just bring my authentic self and my imperfections and can be with someone in, in wherever they're at and, and let them know it's okay. And that, that creates change over and over and over again. And I am not magic. Anyone can do this, Mm -hmm. but it takes it takes learning, it takes internalizing that a little bit ourselves that we are okay and we're enough. We're not going to always feel it because, you know, our brains have a huge negativity bias, but we can surround ourselves with people who encourage us and inspire us. We can, you know, mindfulness has been a huge, huge piece for me in letting in the good and realizing that the negative thoughts and feelings, those are just thoughts and feelings. They're not me. And parenting is just the avenue that I took, the path I took, partly because I was in it and trying to figure out, my goodness, how do I do this? And understanding that it's, yes, I have to be aware of myself. I can't just parent by doing two kids, but it's actually more effective in the long run. And it's more fun, you know, because I'm not in it alone. Okay. Uh, I'm going to open up a space here just to say for you is just to bring back my audience in here. And these are the people that are doing good work in the world right now. They, they have a vision for, for change that needs to happen just as you have this change that you're, that you're passionate about in the world of parents you know, they're, the people that are listening to this, there's all these people out there doing, working in all different kinds of fields and they're, they're doing it right now. They're probably making a difference with some people, but they, they want it to spread. They want it to be bigger, uh, more to, to really take off and, and create a big change in the world positively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Is there anything that you feel like hasn't been said that you have to say that would help these people as they're finding their voice, finding their audience, they're on this, this journey. And right now where they're at, it, it hasn't, you know, they know they're doing good work, but they, they're not right. sustainable yet They're and, and they don't quite know how to get to the next place or what they should be doing while they're getting to the next place. Is there anything that comes right. up that you want to say to them? There's a, there's a few things. Yeah. Um, First, our, our time, like the, the way we envision time and change and how long it should take. I think in, in our society where things happen instantly, right? I want a milkshake and I can have it delivered to my door. I want someone to do something for me. I can send them an email. I, you know, it is, we are used to things moving fast. Change and it's particularly human change and, and bringing people on board getting people to join along with you, that is not fast work. Because remember, we're talking to that sense in people, we're, we're, we want their, their sense that they matter. They want, we want them to feel connected. And that's how they, that's what makes them stick with us, right? So we have to be careful of the time frame. If we're expecting to create change overnight, it is really challenging. I, I think I've shared this story with you, Galen, but I had, um, when I sort of moved over from practicing, a practicing as a therapist to more of a parent coaching hat, one of my first clients was a woman who um, had a baby and she was depressed and she wanted to work on sleep issues with the baby. She, you know, she was not sleeping. It is so horrid because that first kid, you just think I'm never going to sleep again. This is going to be it. I'm just going to be a zombie forever. And um, it's hard. And she contacted me and she, um, so we, I did some work with her and I said, you know, we got to deal with the depression first change. You know, we're not going to change the sleep stuff. And she was mad because she wanted relief right then, you know, she was in pain and she wanted that pain gone. But I knew that while she was depressed, you know, she, she wasn't going to be able to hold, you know, to, to manage a, you know, sort of sleep plan with a baby. And so she wanted a refund. And so I gave her money back and I felt terrible. And about a year later, I got a handwritten letter in the mail, which is so rare these days. And she wrote me about the profound impact that I had on her life. And in fact, she did go to the doctor and she was depressed. And she was treated for the depression and she started to connect easier with her baby and found it easier to sort of create the routines and stuff that, that she wanted there. And that she was so inspired by my one session with her that she, that she had asked for her money back that she was in training to become a parent educator and focused on infant sleep. So, um, and my, my mentor, Jody McVitie, told me a long time ago, she's like, we're working in the time of trees. Change does not happen in the span that we see that we just, you know, like, this instant stuff. It's like trees take a long time to grow and to grow their roots and change in human beings and, and creating what we want. It takes time. And so our job is really planting the seed. We can't take all the responsibility for whether someone comes on board or not, but we can certainly plant the seed. And we want to make sure we're doing that with authenticity. So our, what we want them to come along on is what they see emanating from us coming from us. We also, um, 
we want to be vulnerable. So because we, we want to make ourselves approachable, right? If I am standing up there as the leader and saying, come with me, I have it all figured out. This is a piece of cake and you've just been doing it wrong. And when you find my magic and how perfectly I do everything, you too will be perfect. That's a long stretch for someone who doesn't, who feels like they're failing, who is in pain, who doesn't feel like they matter or they belong. That's a big jump to get them there. So sharing our vulnerabilities and that we didn't get here overnight and it took time, you know, that helps bring people along. And addressing, uh, you know, that, that the, the, just the making sure what we're modeling from what the words are on our website align with what we're inviting people along on, you know, I see so many parenting website programs that are like, you know, become the perfect mom with perfect kids in just eight weeks for $5,000. And, and maybe that is what works for some people, but I got to say for, for a lot of parents that is like, I'm never going to be a perfect mom and my kids are never going to be perfect because it sucks right now. And how am I going to get there? And that is a big jump or I'm just getting people's money, but I'm not really building a movement. I'm not really building a community. I'm just doing the like, buy my thing. And, and it, and, um, really creating movement. We have to invite people along. It's not human, right? I mean, to come back yeah, to your thing is right. A perfect outcome in some ways is not a human outcome, you know? No, and it's, and it's how not. much do we sell everyone because we think that they want the perfect outcome? And you know what? To be honest, a lot of us do, right? I well, right, man. I got my issues, and if someone just had a pill that I could take, that would just I could take it, it would fix it. Oh, in a heartbeat, and I want that. And sometimes I have bought things from people that were like, "Just do this, and it'll work." Right. So why don't we just let people be human from the beginning? And I can't tell people that change is going to happen overnight. I mean, it is kind of amazing. But you can sell them some kind of human change, right? Right. I can sell them something real. This is what this is the progress I've made. Right. That really right. I've made. Yeah. That's not perfect and not, you know, shiny, but no. it's real and it's meaningful. Humans are not perfect. And this idea that if we just do this thing, then we will be perfect. It just causes pain over and over and over again. And, and part of that is we have massive proportions of the society that don't have access to the same perfect pill to swallow, right? So instead I'm saying, how about you know you're okay as you are? And let's see what we can do from there. Because if you don't feel yourself as okay, making changes, big changes, we're just, it's, it's, it's really hard to get someone to take that kind of risk when they, when they don't feel okay, as accepted as they are. And they feel like that the change they're inviting, being invited to make is actually, you know, because you're not okay. Yeah. How about you are okay and you want to learn? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, Serena. <laughs> this has been good. I know. I just want to thank you for being on the show today and just being so, so vulnerable, so honest, so generous with sharing your stories and your wisdom. Man, this is a profound change 
it affects not only you know one generation but you know from the parents through the children and societally and and I just acknowledge you for the work and the heart that you've put in that's a beautiful thing and I know that there's going to be a lot of value here for for my listeners and that's going to affect them it's going to encourage them to be human it's going to encourage them to keep going you know or just to just to be human with someone else you know yeah yeah there's really nothing better than this life so thank you thank you for your time thank you for your contribution thank you galen if people want to find you maybe their parents that are like oh god i please i need someone who knows what the hell <laughs> how do i right. need someone who's human with me what's the best way for them to do yeah. that they can go to my website serinanatkin.com that's s-a-r-i-n-a-n-a-t-k-i-n.com and i've got tons of i've got tons of blog posts on all sorts of parenting topics i've got um i was doing regular tv segment news segments so there's tons of short videos covering like all the most common parenting challenges and um yeah it's, it's a journey so is there any enjoy. other uh, areas that you'd like support in right now? I know you have a dance class. <laughs> I have a dance class, yeah, because, you know, being in your body and, and present in this moment and finding joy is you got to take care of yourself. I mean, most parents have heard this idea of securing your own oxygen mask and leaders need to do that too. You have to take care of yourself and dance is so much joy. So if you're in Seattle and you want to come have a good time and dance. Or even if you're not in Seattle, right? On Wednesdays. If you're not in Seattle, because we're on Zoom. You're right. We're on Zoom. So that is Soul Dance Fitness. S-O-L DanceFitness.com. And you can come dance with us and uh, just let it all out and be yes. totally human yes. in all that you are. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I do it. Yeah. Thank you, Galen. This was a lot of fun. This is this is the stuff that just fills me with joy is just being able to talk with other people and share. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode today. Just a quick note before you leave. As I mentioned in the intro to the show, I am a certified empowerment coach. And I work with people just like you who want to make an even bigger impact on the world. Look, we've all got our blind spots. And the journey is just way faster and more fun when you've got that trained professional that has unshakable faith in you along for the ride. So if you're just chomping at the bit to move forward, email me at galen at emboldencoaching.com. That's G-A-E-L-E-N at E-M-B-O-L-D-E-N coaching.com and we'll set up a free strategy session to see if empowerment coaching is that game changer that you've been looking for. Thanks again for everyone who tuned in. Until next time, find your voice. Find the people who need to hear from you. And let's go change the world.